Our scripture today comes from Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 10 through 17, which is just a small part of a much bigger story and a much bigger event. And we're going to talk about the challenges that we face. Because if there's anything that we all have in common, it is the fact that we all face the challenges of life. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, about the challenges that we face and about the response to them so that we can handle them in the best way possible. So I'm reading from Exodus chapter 4. Here, here's the, the larger story. The people of Israel have been in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, and God has called a man to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and say, let my people go. But this man is like you and me. He has flaws, he has needs, he has challenges, he has strengths, tremendous strengths, but he also has weaknesses that get in the way, and one of his weaknesses is being obedient unto God, and, and to understand that if God calls him to do something, that God's going to equip him to do exactly what he needs to do. So listen to the words of Moses as he protests to God of why he can't handle the challenges that he faces. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And at that point, Moses basically says the unthinkable. Here's what he says. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and is as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. I left home yesterday about 2 o'clock, and I was going to run a really short errand before I came here to the church for our Saturday night worship service. 
So I'm driving down the highway, and all of a sudden, I see an ambulance with red lights flashing and moving at a high red rate of speed. It was on a, on a service road. And behind it, as we've become accustomed to in St. Tammany Parish, a, a fire truck on the way. It were, they were going to turn into a subdivision, and I know people who live in that subdivision. So immediately, my mind goes to who lives there and what kind of emergency they must have and what kind of stress somebody in that large subdivision must be under. And if you've never called 911 needing help, it is about as stressful a time as you can experience. And so I, I prayed briefly, thinking about whomever it might be that had made the call. And whether it had to do with somebody's illness or whether it had to do with a fire or it had to do with something else, it is amazing the challenges that we face. It couldn't have been two minutes later that I made a turn. And when I made the turn, I noticed that there was a sheriff's deputy with a car that was blocking another street. And I was thinking, what in the world is that about? And then I saw what it was about. A normal event, not an unusual event, but still a stressful event because behind the sheriff's deputy was a hearse, and behind it were a string of cars with their lights on, and they were going to a burial, a different kind of challenge, a different kind of grief, a different kind of stress, but a challenge nonetheless. All of our lives are filled with challenges. And I'm always aware when I say something as obvious as that, that your mind is right now going to whatever cha challenge you are facing. They may be as different as the number of people in the room, but we all know that life is filled with challenges. So how do we deal with those? And how do we learn to make the most of every day and every opportunity to honor God and to receive the help that he wants to give to us? Because one of the things we need to learn is that as God has been in the past, so that he will be in the future. Because you know that. God was with me in the past. God has, has protected me. God has given me what I've needed in the past. But we are always a little bit afraid about the future and afraid of what's going to happen in the days to come. I, I love that song that says, that talks about God, and he gives strength for today. And he does. And he gives bright hope for tomorrow, and he does.
And what we want to do is look at the challenges of life and look at how God leads us through it. I think of challenges as the pop quizzes of life. Now, most likely, if you're an adult, you somewhere or the other, you had a pop quiz. And it as with all pop quizzes, nobody is ever ready for it. Nobody walks into a class, says, I know we're going to have a quiz today, and he's going to surprise everybody, but I'm not going to be surprised. The only time I can remember pop quizzes is the times when I are the times when I wasn't ready, and the times when I didn't think about it, and the times when I wasn't prepared. And that's the way the challenges are. And they're the pop quizzes of life. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to tell you my challenges. And that's what these five are. They're my challenges. But most likely... Because of our common humanity, they're your challenges as well. And as I look at the church, these are the challenges of the church. So let's look at the challenges that we face. Most of these are the same kind of things that Moses faced. But they're the challenges that we face. The first one is the one that most likely popped into your mind first. It's the outside opposition. It's those people opposed to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's those people who don't appreciate the church. Earlier, I I reminded you that there are people at home. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people where you work. There are people where you're going to school tomorrow where people are going to wonder why it is that you are a person of faith and what difference does that make in your life? And maybe there are going to be people who challenge you. That's what Moses faced. It's hard for us to imagine, but when God called Moses to go to speak to Pharaoh and to say to Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses was going to the leader of the world's greatest superpower of that day. When he went to Pharaoh, he was going to the most powerful leader of that day. And God said to him, you will go, I will command you, the words that I give you, you're going to speak. And Moses, of course, is dealing and struggling with all of that. Moses knew what he was going up against. He had been raised in Pharaoh's household. Moses knew the people of Egypt. Moses knew the attitudes. Moses knew the strength and the power that they had. How do you handle the opposition of life and the opposition of faith? Think of what it's like to be a student, a a teenager, an elementary school student going and facing the outside opposition. What do you say? How do you respond? 
certainly not any easier to go to work and deal with those things. And of all places, to go home and to deal with it is extremely difficult. How do you handle the opposition of life? Now, all you have to do is look at the passage we read from Moses, and you get the idea he didn't handle it very well. Here is this great man of God. We look at him. We, we revere him. He is at the top of the pedestal, the people of Israel. That they look back to Moses as being the great, they were the children of Abraham, but they were led by Moses. The first five books of the Old Testament all came from Moses. From that point on, everyone looked back to Moses. The Pharisees of Jesus' day talked about they were followers of Moses, and this was 2,000 years later, or 14 or 1,500 years later, they're still talking about Moses. But Moses was just like you and just like me. And what Moses needed more than anything else was to say to God, God, I need your help. I need your direction. God said unto Moses, Moses, I'm the one who's going to give you the words that you're to speak. Let me speak for you. When finally God says, isn't there Aaron, your brother? Here's the way you find with Aaron and Moses. Aaron didn't have the character of Moses, but he had the eloquence that Moses didn't have. So God said, isn't there air in your brother? And, and in this passage of Scripture, we get the classical picture of a person who is the prophet of God. What does the prophet do? We, we always think that they're making predictions. The prophet is speaking for God. And God says to Moses, Moses, I'll give you the word, and it will be as if... You are the mouth of God to Aaron, and then he will speak to the people, and he will speak to Pharaoh. In the face of opposition, we trust God. There's a second challenge that we face. Moses faced it. The people of Israel face it. We as a church face it. You as a family face it. It is raising godly children. It is passing along our faith to our children, to our grandchildren, to the people around us. It, it, is, it is blessing the world by training up children in the way that they should go. That's what the writer of Proverbs said. You, you do this, you train up children in the way that they should go. Moses himself spoke for God and he said to the people of Israel that you're to teach your children along the way and not, not simply in a, in a formal way, but obviously that is really good, but simply as you go through life. 
God said when you're walking along the way and, and you're observing life and you're observing people and you're talking about the things that are happening to you, you, you show them the things of God and you live in those ways in such a way that it, it's as if the word of God is wrapped around your forearms. They actually did that. And it's as if you have the word of God on the doorpost of your houses. And they did that. But more important than simply having something that can be seen, it's something that can be experienced by children. When I go to other places and I brag about First Baptist Church, and I do, hope in a nice way, in a good way, on you, not on me. Paul talked about boasting about what God had done, and when I boast about what you have done, do you know what I say? That you determined that you were going to do your best to reach children with the gospel. And long before we thought about building this building, we thought about building a building for preschoolers and children to tell them the things of God. It is a tremendous challenge for us to raise godly children. Here's the problem. You get older in life, and you see what you should have done. The problem is knowing to do this day as God has commanded me to do as I raise my children in godly ways. There's a third challenge, and the challenge is our personal holiness. In the Bible, we're told to be holy, what does the word holy mean? It means to be set apart for God. It means to do the things of God. It means that we reject our sinfulness and we open our lives up to God and let him be in control. Jesus said, told us that we're to be holy as he is holy. And in the book of Leviticus, again and again, you shall be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is God's plan. But you and I know the challenge of it. We know the challenge of leave, living in a society that hates holiness and despises holiness. We know of living in a society that wants us to be like the culture. On your screen, on the screen, and on your sermon sheet, you'll, you'll see this little statement that I think expresses exactly the way the world is. The world will do all it can. It will use every way possible to keep you from living a holy life. There will be every kind of pressure possibly placed upon you. And yet, paradoxically, the world desperately wants us to be holy, 
to know that there is hope, to know that there is a God who works on our behalf and who guides us through life. The world will be changed when there is holiness in you and holiness in me. Not a perfection. That, that day is coming. That day is coming when I will no longer be tempted. That day is coming when I will no longer sin. That day is coming when I will live in a perfect world. But that world is not today. And yet God can work through us to, to make us different people and that we would be those that are pleasing unto God. Could I ask you to do this? Could I ask you to make the commitment to me, with me, to personal holiness, to be what God wants us to be, to be an example to our neighbors, to be an example in our families, to be an example where you go to school, to be an example as you work. And for me, that means... God, I know that there are going to be people who push all kinds of buttons. Help me to respond in the right way, in the way that is pleasing unto you and help my life be such that it is honoring to you and you are exalted in all that I do. Moses and the people of Israel were called upon to live holy lives. There's a fourth, ch uh, fourth challenge that we face, and it is the challenge of sharing the gospel. It's, it's the challenge of letting people know that there is a God in heaven who knows their name, knows their situation, cares about them deeply, wants them to live with him in heaven, who wants to let them, to lead them through life. How do we do that? How do we do it in the face of opposition? How do we do it with people who actually say that, that the church is the problem, that religion destroys everything, that faith is not real? How do we do that? How do we share our faith? I'll never forget about three years ago, we were having a baptism out in the plaza. Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, I don't know when it was. I just simply remember that it was a woman who was being baptized. And after her baptism, another woman came and stood there with her. And then I heard their story. The woman who had come and stood with her was her best friend. And so this best friend told the woman who was being baptized, she said, because of my faith in Christ, I know I'm going to be in heaven. And I can't imagine being there without you. And at that point, she shared her faith. Now, I don't know what you have to do, but I think a great response would be or a great way to introduce is, look, you, you are my family. I love you. 
I want you to go to heaven, and I want to tell you what God has done for me in Christ. God wants us to share our faith. We have no idea what, how much time there is left before Jesus returns, before our friend, our family member dies, before we die. We don't know what's going to happen. So what are we going to do? How do we live out our faith in Christ? How do we honor God? Sometimes we wonder, can, can this other person be saved? I love the words of Ed Stetzer. He said it's something along these lines. He said, for those of us who have conviction about the word of God, for those of us who, love, who believe the gospel, for those of us who love the people around us, we can find this hope that the God who could redeem us and bring change in our lives can do that for other people as well. If Paul could be saved, if Simon Peter could be saved, if I could be saved, then the people around us can also be changed by the power of the gospel. There's a fifth challenge, and for me, this is the highest one, and this is the greatest one. Because a few years ago, it became apparent to me that what God really wants in my life, in your life, in his church, that what God really wants is us to be, for us to be like Jesus, for for Christ to be our all and for our desire to live as he lived and to quit making excuses about, about our sin and about our failures, but simply seeking to become like Christ. After all, that's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Let this mind be in you that also was in Christ Jesus. Another way to describe that is to have the attitude of Christ. And what was the attitude of Christ? The attitude of Christ is that he was going to give up what he had in order that you might have what he did. Think about what Jesus did. Think about how easy it would have been for Jesus to have refused to do this. Paul said, what did he do? He humbled himself and became a servant, even a servant unto death, and death in the worst way imaginable by being hung on a tree, which was a picture of humiliation. But Jesus gave up his place in heaven and came to earth to dwell with us, to become a human being. Paul says, that's the mindset I want you to have, the, the mindset of Christ, the humility of Christ, the, the servanthood of Christ. I want you to be like him. When I think of my goals, this is the goal. 
This is what God wants us to be, to become like Christ. And that begins with a humble surrender of self to God. It begins with saying, God, I need you. I need forgiveness. I need hope. I need to be changed on the inside. I want to become like you. I was reading this week about a story that is so old that nobody should be reading about it anymore. And yet people are fascinated with the Titanic. Now, just so you get it figured out, the Titanic sank 110 years ago, 1912. Remember, it was so, the, the thing that makes it so fascinating is, is because it was supposed to be the greatest ship ever built. It was supposed to be the unsinkable ship, 16 waterproof compartments, so that if something happened in one, all of the others were going to hold up and it could never, it could never sink. But here it is 110 years later, and the Titanic is still the worst peacetime ship losing in all of the history of the world. More people died on the Titanic than any other ship in peacetime in history. 1,500 people out of 2,200 people on board. Now think about a hundred, and here's what makes the story so tragic. A hundred and ten years ago, and you have somebody who is in the middle of the Atlantic, and you know the ship has gone down, but you don't know what happened to them. So for days and weeks in New York City, remember they left, left Southampton, England, and sailed to New York City, and weeks and days in New York City in the, in the offices of the shipping company, there were family members who were grieving and waiting and hoping and praying and, and, and believing that their loved ones were going to be saved, and of all things, the shipping company had two lists. It had a list that was entitled Known Lost. And it had a list entitled Known Saved. And when the company got some verification, they would send out the one unlucky officer who would go out to face all of those people and all of them stressed, grieving, known lost or known saved. God has a list like that. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And God so wants your name in the book. And he wants your family members' 
name. The people you live around, their names in the book of life. And so God did the unthinkable. He left the throne above and he came to earth and he became a human being with all of our challenges and he became the once and for all sacrifice for your sin that you might be made new and that you might live with him forever. I pray that today you will trust Christ and you will humbly surrender yourself unto him and you will publicly show that you have trusted him. And I pray that the great goal of your life is that I would be like Jesus as he wants me to be. Let's pray together. And after my prayer, we're going to stand and I'm going to invite you to come and walk to the front and talk with the pastor and say to that pastor, I humbly surrender my life unto Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Jesus who became that once and for all sacrifice for sin that our sin might be taken away and that we might have your righteousness. God, please speak now and call us to you. And there may there be 